Hello and welcome to Ag PhD Radio. I'm Brian Hefty here on a Farmer Friday. It's going to be a great day. Got lots of questions to get to today. If you've got a question for us, you can certainly email us, radio at agphd.com, or you can send us a note on Twitter, agphdmedia, or Brian Hefty, or you can give us a call, 844-44-AG-PHD. That's 844-442-4743. So I am Brian Hefty. We're live in the Morton studio. On a Farmer Friday, it's all about you. It's your questions, your calls. We're going to get to the phone lines here in our next segment, but uh, we'll get to the Ag PhD mailbag in just one second. Before we do, I guess I just want to let you know, next week we've got a couple of Ag PhD workshops coming up on Wednesday. So that would be the 8th of February. Wednesday, we've got an Ag PhD tiling clinic. And then on Thursday, February 9th, we have a, an Ag PhD corn agronomy workshop. Both of those are free if you want to attend in person. It's right at our Ag PhD field day site in the Morton Center. Um, If you've never been to one of our workshops, I'd really encourage you to attend. Um, We will give you an agronomy book. We'll give you a lot of great information throughout the day, a lot of good food. So you'll have a good time, learn a little bit of stuff, have some fun. And I I was just talking to somebody here this morning and I, I said, you know, Long-term, I am concerned about the farm economy as high as interest rates are getting, and I'm worried about exports and all this kind of stuff. But you know what? Right now, things look good. Now's our time to capitalize on it. So I just encourage every farmer out there, do everything you can to do as good as possible on your farm this year. Who knows? Maybe we'll have a whole bunch more great years right after this, but this might be our last one for a little while. So we want to build up as much as we can. So if we do have any tough times coming, we're ready to go and we can we can do just fine going through all that. Okay, let's get to the Ag PhD mailbag. It's now mailbag time with Brian and Darren. First question comes from Matt over in Indiana. He says, hi, guys, we're installing subsurface drip irrigation on a farm this spring and plan to apply supplemental nutrients based on weekly tissue testing. Are there any natural products you would recommend to apply through this system as well? The drip tape will be 12 to 14 inches below the surface on 30-inch centers. Oh, and by the way, he sent in just um, his averages, at least, on soil tests, and it's around... 6.5 pH, 6.7 cat exchange capacity, so it's pretty light sandy ground. Parts per million on phosphorus, only 55, and parts per million on potassium, only 165. And so in both of those cases, obviously, I'm concerned that we got to get more fertility out there potentially if we're going to have amazing yields. But I guess first thing, uh, before I get to to his question here, my first comment with applying things based on tissue tests, you can absolutely do that. But just don't forget, tissue tests are not predictive. They only tell you what's happened that day. And so for those of us who have heavier soils where our ground can actually hold a lot of fertility, and granted, mats can't because it's light soil, but for those of us with heavy ground, this doesn't work as well simply because our Our soil might have all kinds of A nutrient, and as soon as the root hits that nutrient next week, for example, well, now we might be in great shape. Whereas in Matt's case, I get it. When your soil doesn't have much to begin with, you go, okay, I don't have a lot sitting in the bank over there. Um, If my tissue test is low, I I know know, that that my soil doesn't really have enough to recover, so I got to make continuous applications. All right. Anyway, his question was, 
are there any natural products you would recommend to apply through the system? He says here, we've used MegaGrow and Heat Shield in furrow and continue to experiment with other natural products, and they've had good success with those. But um, when you start putting something through any type of irrigation system, you got to think about how watered down it really becomes. So with fertility, I don't mind it. But when we start talking about things like herbicide, fungicide, insecticide, and naturals, it can be a little different. So insecticide, we don't have as big an issue with. But when it comes to naturals, there's nothing off the top of my head I can think of. And certainly if you want to experiment with some stuff and let us know if things turn out okay, that's great. Otherwise, we're usually talking to people about making direct applications with with those kind of products rather than pumping them through any type of irrigation system just to make sure we've got the concentrations right and we put those things exactly where they need to be. All right, next one here also is about subsurface drip drip irrigation uh, from, and I'm sure I'm going to mess up the name, uh, Raya. Anyway, uh, Raya says, if you can send me information about subsurface drip installation for sweet corn, potatoes, and wheat, uh, like how to install it and supply requirements, stuff like that, I'd appreciate it. Raya, I, I don't really have that stuff. We don't, we've only put in a tiny, tiny little bit of drip irrigation on our own farm, and that was mainly for demonstration purposes. So I would encourage you talk to some of these companies out there that do that subsurface drip tape. There are several of them, and they have a lot of great stuff. But yes, um, a lot of people are looking at subsurface drip tape because, well, number one, it's a way to get by with a lot less water. That it can really be a big deal. And the other nice thing about it, it's below the ground. You don't have to worry so much about evaporation. You're, you're putting the nutrients right where they need to be and all those kind of things. All right. And then we got one from here from Murray from Ontario who says, I'm going to be growing enlist soybeans for the first time. I use Authority Supreme Preplant Incorporated at the setup rate. And then I was planning to follow with Roundup uh, later on, a sure two for volunteer corn as well, and also using Enlist. I'm, I'm okay with spraying two times post. So which product would you suggest putting together, and what would you spray first? Volunteer corn control is very important as these are grown for seed. Uh, also, he says, I normally spray a fungicide at R1. If that could be part of one of the tank mixes, I have my own sprayer. All right, so Murray, I'll, I'll tell you this. We also raise seed, and I tell... I tell every seed grower out there, please spray for volunteer corn twice. It doesn't cost that much. So I'm going to hit it on both of my post-emerge passes. Um, I'm great with Enlist One along with a volunteer corn herbicide, but just keep in mind that Enlist, just like Dicamba, is going to cause antagonism. So I'm going to double the rate to my volunteer corn herbicide, assuming that's still on label. Um, and then I'm just going to tell you, scout. You just have to scout and see what comes and then make your decision at that point. So if you have questions right when that happens, let us know. Stay tuned. Farmer Amaranth. Four counts of yield theft, resistance to groups two, four, nine. You ain't got nothing on me, man. We've been surveilling you. And now we've got Tough 5EC, a tank mix partner that'll make sure you and your gang of resistant weeds never see the daylight again. Crack down on repeat offenders. Add Tough 5 EC to your post-emergence tank mix. Learn more at toughonweeds.com. Always read and follow label directions. Tough is a registered trademark of Belsham Crop Protection. 
One of the most important things you can do for your farm is improve drainage. Hi, I'm Darren Hefty. On Wednesday, February 8th, we're hosting a free Ag PhD tiling clinic in the Morton Center on our farm near Baltic, South Dakota. Whether you've been tiling for years or looking to plan your first project, you won't want to miss this event. We'll have a whole host of information for you, including a legal session with the country's top drainage lawyers, as well as presentations on tile design, lift stations, and ways to approach neighbors and landlords about tiling issues. For more details, go to agphd.com. Good morning and hallelujah! My spray and pray days are over! What's with Randy? Oh, he's just amped. Weed field heaven! Amped? Yeah, he ordered that new battalion amp herbicide from UPL. They're calling it the new gold standard. This is the greatest day in herbicidal history! So, how can I... Get amped? Just go to battalionamp.com. It's gonna be a good year! Always read and follow label directions. Control the toughest weeds with overlapping residuals. Lock in the longest lasting control for your soybean fields. A pre-emergence application of an authority brand herbicide plus a post application of Anthem Max herbicide establishes the overlapping residual control key to safeguarding your soybean seasons. This pairing is a heavy duty economical strategy against Palmer Amaranth, Waterhemp, Kosha, and more. Visit your FMC retailer or lockin.ag.fmc.com today. Always read and follow all label directions. Welcome back to Ag PhD Radio. It's a Farmer Friday. It's all about you today. If you want to call into the show, the number is 844-44-AG-PHD. We're also going through your emails, radio at agphd.com, if you want to send those in. All right, we're going to get to the phone lines right now. we got George Goblish calling in. He is uh, the co-chair and uh, and also a farmer, but co-chair for Commodity Classic. George, how are you doing today? Uh, real good if this weather would just warm up. Well, you know where I hear the weather's pretty good is uh, is down in Florida where Commodity Classic's going to be this year. Why don't you tell us just a little bit about some of the things you're excited for uh, at that event this year? Absolutely. Uh, well, if, if you're a first-timer coming down to the Classic, uh, we do have a first-timer meetup which starts on Wednesday at 4.30. So if, you're, if you've never been there, come join us there. We kind of walk you through things at this little meeting, and uh, you get some free uh, spirits and food from us, and we, we walk you through exactly you know, the do's and don'ts about coming to the show. And, and so your, your experience is a lot more fun. And then, hey, of course, then Oh, hey, hey, say, George, you mentioned Wednesday. What's the date on that? March what? Oh, March eighth. Yep, March eighth. Uh, so then, right, right after that, the first timers meet uh, is the welcome reception. So that's when everybody that's coming to the show is more than welcome to come to the uh, welcome reception, and we kick off the show with a big old party. And and then, uh, of course, Thursday morning the the trade show opens, and uh, we we go from there, having fun all week until Saturday night, where we end up with the evening of entertainment, which is uh, 38 special this year, which is free of charge to everybody that comes to the show. One of the great things I like too is your location. This year, you're in Orlando, and yeah, the the show is is listed as March 9th through the 11th in Orlando. But I, I like Orlando because there are direct flights from a lot of cities in the United States and even some foreign countries, so it's pretty easy to get to. Yep, yep, especially from the cold cities like Minneapolis, St. Paul. We, <laughs> that's where I'm traveling from. I jump on a plane and head right down there. And uh, 
uh, boy, you know, when you drop or warm up 30, 40, 50, 60 degrees, it, it's certainly going to be good for the body. That's for sure. Definitely. All right. So for somebody who hasn't gone before, give me one or two reasons why they should go this year. Okay. Uh, well, if you're a farmer and you're interested in improving your R, uh, investment of uh, your operation, your ROI, yep. there it came out, uh, <laughs> This show will give you an opportunity to talk to farmers that are producing 300 plus bushels of corn or 80, 90, 100 bushel beans. Uh, they'll give you ideas on how you can uh, do a better job on your farm to get a better ROI. In, in the cutting edge, the new things that are coming in farming, whether it's the equipment that's coming or the, the way things, different farmers are doing things, and especially with the new farm bill coming up, we're, we're going to, the way it looks, we're going to have to start farming a little different uh, in all parts of the country. So it's, we're going to be touching on that also down there. Yeah, I bet you I've been to Commodity Classic 20 times, and I look forward to going every single time. I always learn quite a bit. And then they're just, like you say, lots of people you can interact with. A, a lot of these farmers who are doing great things, they're very uh, available throughout the show, just walking around. You can just have a conversation with somebody. So I, that's been one of my favorite parts. Yeah, absolutely. If you've been there and you know, you've know you come across guys that – Go every year. It's a great place to get back a hold of those individuals and and talk shop again for the for the next three four days, uh, whatever, however long you're down there. And especially, there's one thing I should mention too. Sure. NASA joined us in this last show. They're coming back again this show, and they have just the the the. Uh, I think it's exciting because they they they're farming in space. Yeah. So it's kind of I'm I'm a sci-fi nut freaks kind of so I I like going checking them out and and see how we can farm up in space. When when I was young, I thought you know it'd be great if I could be the first farmer on Mars. Well, unfortunately, uh, where I'm sitting in my age, that's not going to happen anymore. But maybe my son or daughter or, or grandchild could make it could maybe make that happen. Yeah. <laughs> Outstanding. We've been talking with George Goblish. Uh, co-chair with Commodity Classic. And if you're looking for more information on that, just go to commodityclassic.com. I highly recommend it. Again, it's March 9th through the 11th down in Orlando. George, thanks for the time today. Appreciate it. Have fun down there, too. I will. Thank you. You bet. All right, next on, we got Steve calling in from New York. Steve, how are you today? Real good. A bit, a bit cold. Um, you guys blessed us couple days later with some <laughs> minus eight degrees during the daytime. So, um, it's, it's part of, part of our weather in Northern New York in the dead of winter. So, yep, it is. But I, I always try to cheer up by thinking about, Hey, spring is right around the corner. So just tell me like on your farm, when will you normally get going with crops in your area? When um, plant? normally, yeah, we, we target it. Typically we get a dry spell that first week or two of May dry and fairly warm. And then for some reason that third or fourth week of May, it turns rainy and cold again. So, um, you know, start prepping. We're prepping right now, equipment and double checking some parts and looking at the tool room, making sure we have stuff. So that that's part of it, but to get romping and tearing, uh, if we get blessed with any kind of dry and warm weather, we'll get out and maybe do some spring crops, um, maybe some alfalfa, maybe some frost seeding. But really, 
going hammer and tong. It's going to be that first or second week of May. Usually have a break and then get cranked up again the end of May, first of June. Anything new and different you're doing on your farm this year? Yeah, we're going to um, we're going to plant some sorghum, some BMR sorghum for forage. Um, we're really increasing the cattle herd, and our value of corn. Uh, not that I don't like to feed cattle corn, I really do, but instead of chopping, I'm going to try to combine as much corn as possible and and try to finish cattle on some of that sorghum. It's not a typical crop in the Northeast. There are people that do it, and people have had good success, but it's not a a typical thing. So I've got a lot to learn. I usually get kicked in the pants the first year or two and start figuring it out, but uh, we'll, we'll figure it out. It'll be a good compliment to the rest of our rotation. We do a five-way, typically barley, corn, soybean, alfalfa, and then we'll play with some wheat. But the sorghums, we're, we're going to try to fit in. So what made you say, ooh, sorghum could actually work for us? Um, I, I visited some other feedlot operations, some finish operations, and they wanted to stretch their their forage. And, and, and it's also a you know kind of an off-season type planting saw the quality beef, saw how they were finishing animals. But probably the biggest reason is I'm I'm a grain guy. I want to combine my corn. I don't <laughs> yep. want to chop it. Yep. Um, and it, 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 so the few acres that we have chopped because we have a pretty good silage crop, we, we do no you know, we do uh, no-till uh, uh, winter uh, rye or even winter barleys, but this will even give us a bigger footprint to do cover crops on because we'll go over more acres with the sorghum. So I'm interested. I'm a big believer in no-till and and cover crops and and playing with the uh, different types of cover crops. So this this should work into the rotation. I've got the next generation working with me, my son Peter, and this will be a good test or show and tell and as I bring him in why I'm doing things. And we we always do a little test and a little try, whether it's turnips or uh, perennial rye. We we play around a little bit on on a small scale. Nice. So you mentioned different cover crops. Which cover crops do you like the best at this point? I don't know if it's the best, but what fits best here is winter rye because it's so hardy. Um, we can plant. I can't. I won't say typically right to Thanksgiving, but that early part of November, we've been blessed because we're on the eastern edge of Lake Ontario. Our falls, even though we get cold when the lake finally gets cold, that that big body of water keeps us pretty temperate in the fall. So late October, early November, we can still plant uh, winter rye as a cover crop and be pretty successful without too much winter damage. As long as we get a little bit of snow to help put a blanket on it, yeah. um, winter rye at this point. But I love some of the crimson clovers and other things. It just doesn't fit into our climate. So winter sure. rye would be the first point. All right. Hey, uh, Steve, great talking to you today. Thanks a lot for calling in. Want to wish you the best of luck here in 2023. Hopefully everything's go- everything goes great for you, especially that new crop you're planting of sorghum. Appreciate it. Appreciate your time, and then love your show. Thank you. You bet. Thank you. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Precision crop nutrition pays, and AgroLiquid has precisely what it takes to help you succeed. The right products plus the right expertise to give you guidance based on your soils, your fields, and your goals. While our clean, seed-safe formulations and lower application rates make planter fertilizer easier than ever. AgroLiquid. Apply less. Expect more. 
Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. It doesn't matter what you grow, how much you grow, or where you grow it. Commodity Classic is the place to discover what's next in agriculture. Join us in Orlando for America's largest farmer-led, farmer-focused educational and agricultural experience. Preparing for the next generation. March 9th through 11th, 2023. Discover more at commodityclassic.com. Get more durability for less downtime with Soil Warrior Strip Tillage from Environmental Tillage Systems. Improve fertilizer efficiency and reduce passes and fuel usage. Now that's ROI. Learn more about ETS at SoilWarrior.com. With superior materials, craftsmanship, and best-in-class warranty, a Morton machine storage or workshop is built to stand the test of time. To learn how we can help you expand your farm operation, visit MortonBuildings.com. How can you make your corn crop more successful? I'm Darren Hefty. Thursday, February 9th, we're going to answer that question at a free Ag PhD corn agronomy workshop at the Morton Center near Baltic, South Dakota. We'll talk about water management, fertility needs, finding success in cold soils, and we'll discuss how to protect your corn crop from weeds, insects, and diseases that can rob your yield potential. There's a great opportunity to make profit in your corn crop this year. Don't miss the free Ag PhD Corn Agronomy Workshop. Register now at agphd.com. This is Stormy Fields with your weather forecast. Today calls for a high of 68 degrees with sunny skies and not a cloud in sight. Planting windows can close fast, so when you need both speed and accuracy, choose John Deere. Our exact Emerge planters and precision ag technologies give you precise seed placement for uniform emergence and the efficiency you need to gain ground. See what you have to gain at johndeere.com slash gain ground. Did you know soybean diseases like white mold and sudden death syndrome can survive in your soil even after rotating crops? Prevention of these diseases is a constant battle and yield loss from an infection can be devastating. The right management plan makes all the difference. Keep your beans safe with Heads Up Seed Treatment. Heads Up guards your seed from both white mold and SDS. Stay protected and profitable by asking your seed dealer for Heads Up. Learn more at HeadsUpST.com. Thanks for listening today to Ag PhD Radio on a Farmer Friday. If you'd like to call in, our phone lines will be open throughout the show, 844-44-AG-PHD. If you've got a question for us, you can email us, radio at agphd.com. So right now we're going to get to get back to the Ag PhD mailbag here. This next question comes from Alexander, who says, What's your advice if I have hot weather and arid and an arid desert land? Uh, can you recommend a suitable type of seeds? Uh, like, and and Alexander was commenting on some alfalfa. Uh, we were we were talking about alfalfa on Ag PhD, and uh, he was looking at one of our videos. And so I don't know if it's type of alfalfa seed or just general seed. But Alexander, I just say this: every area is a little bit different, and when we start talking about how hot and how dry you are, that's really going to make a difference. But I, I, I guess 
I'm just gonna just gonna tell you, talk to seed providers in your area, and they're going to give you a much better idea than I can without more information. So there are a lot of different varieties out there for almost every crop, uh, like alfalfa in particular. Some are going to do better in wetter conditions. Some are going to do a little bit better in dry. But one of the biggest things that I would stress to you is if you're talking about hot and dry weather, you really want to have the best overall fertility program possible. We were talking about this in the show yesterday because if your crop starts to run short on any one nutrient, it's going to start bringing in more water, even if it doesn't need the water. So in effect, you're going to make your crop a water waster when you don't have the right balance and right amount of nutrients in the soil. The other thing that I'll tell you, whenever we're discussing alfalfa, I just always encourage people, okay, you're going to probably have this crop in the ground for three to five, maybe even six years. So you really want to do a good job putting out a fair amount of phosphorus, especially, and, and maybe potassium as well, at the outset and getting it down into the ground a little bit. Because when you have nutrients that don't move very well in soil, like phosphorus, for example, if you lay it on the soil surface every year that that stand is in, well, that that phosphorus may only go down in the ground a quarter of an inch or half an inch, and you don't recover all that you applied. Now, it's no big deal if you own the ground and you're looking at the 50-year deal, but I mean, when I spend money, I kind of like to get it back sooner rather than later. So anyway, just uh, just a couple quick tips for you there on alfalfa. All right, we're going to jump back to the phone lines, get Drew calling in from down in Alabama. Drew, I'm I'm sure I'm going to be jealous after I ask you this question, but how warm is it today on your farm? Man, it is a pleasant, uh, I'm going to say 62 degrees today. Yeah, that's about about, uh, 62 degrees warmer than here, so... (laughs) <laughs> well, you know, the thing about the thing about being in the deep south is that the temperature swings a lot. So t- sure. two weeks ago, we were at 17 degrees, and that's probably the coldest I've experienced in my life. Wow. So it was it was 30 yesterday and 60 today, and we'll see what tomorrow holds. Yeah, as you were saying, 17 above is the coldest you've experienced. I know we've had wind chills 50 and 60 below zero. I mean, it's been crazy. This winter's been awful for us. So anyway, I I like getting my mind off that cold weather and talking about crops. So tell us about uh, tell us about twenty twenty three on your farm this year. What crops are you most excited about? Well, um, I'm a little bit less excited about cotton than I was last year. Last year we were pretty heavy heavy on cotton in our crop mix, but I'll be looking back to. Maybe some soybeans. I've taken a couple years off of that, but, you know, with the nitrogen costs being so high, um, last year I was light on corn, heavy on cotton, and that worked out well for us. But I'm probably going to have to bring back another a third crop into the mix to maybe ease my um, input cost burden a little bit. So when you say you're, you're down on cotton a little bit, is it because of the price or is it because just this year corn and soybeans look a little bit better economically? Uh, well, it's mostly due to the, the cotton price. We had a great yeah. year with cotton last year. Um, I think the I think all of our cotton ended up selling for over a dollar a pound. And, you know, I, I haven't checked today where cotton prices are, but I think it's about 20 cents below that uh, sure. last time I checked. So, you know, it's not a bad place to be, but we haven't really had to work with it 
with cotton at that price with the input prices where they are right now. And then last year in 22, we had, we really had a dry period in the summer and it really hurt my corn yields. So I'm not too excited about either one of those crops right now. Corn has my feelings hurt and cotton prices <laughs> have me down a little bit too. Well, at least you said you planted a few less acres of corn last year, so so that part was good. But what crop will you plant first on your farm? We'll be looking to plant corn um, probably the second week of March, so sooner than I'd care to admit. <laughs> what, what, why do you why do you say that? I mean, it, it should be plenty warm enough by second week of March, isn't it? Oh, it's plenty warm enough. I just don't feel i haven't really gotten a good chance to uh, slow down and re- get all my equipment stuff done I've, oh. I've been in the shop all day today and i'm working on rebuilding my corn planter right now actually so that's uh i just try to focus on one thing at a time and i don't <laughs> like to think about planting when my corn planter is in pieces <laughs> Yeah, and I hate to say it, but I mean, second week of March, you're not talking a lot of time here, four or five weeks, and, and you could be in the field. So that's why I say I'm, I'm a little bit jealous. I'm, I'm, I mean, maybe all this snow will disappear in the next four or five weeks up here, but I'm kind of doubting that. So uh, yeah. So let's, let's go to soybeans once. You said you're, you're kind of down maybe on both cotton and corn potentially. So in, in terms of soybeans, what are maybe a couple of tips you have for raising great soybeans in the state of Alabama? Well, I think if you wanted a couple of great tips, you might be talking to the wrong person. Um, <laughs> I, I have kind of come to terms with maybe I just don't live on a soybean, uh, soybean ground. We do really well growing cotton and typically have been able to do well growing corn because we get plenty of water. Mm -hmm. But I think that most of the people in the South who have the best luck planting beans, they have moved their planting date earlier and earlier, um, end of March, 1st of April. Yep. And um, looking at group fours and, and fives are typically early fives, late fours are kind of where my the people I know who grow the best beans are at. So sure. I think that's a, you know, a good start. Yep. In terms of fertility, we, we talk all the time about corn and soybeans, but how about cotton? If there's like one or two nutrients with cotton where you go, Oh, I, I always got to make sure I'm pushing a little extra with those couple of nutrients. What would it be with cotton? <clears throat> um, it, it usually puts cotton puts a lot of potassium in the fiber. So I really like to have, um, good potassium levels. And then also something that gets a little bit overlooked with all the rainfall we get, which we're probably 58 or so inches mm-hmm. annually. Yep. Um, any of your leachable nutrients, like we're, we're not going to retain very much nitrogen. You know, we don't have much organic matter because of the heat and humidity. Yeah. So obviously that, but then like your sulfur and boron are things that we constantly have to kind of feed into the crop as well. Yeah, 58 inches. That's about as much as we've had on our farm in the last four years total. <laughs> so, yeah, <laughs> quite a bit different. Yeah, we, we, we've had two and a half years of drought, although we're making up for it this winter in snowfall. So anyway, not, not the kind of moisture I was looking for. Well, hey, uh, Drew, thanks a lot for calling in today. Really appreciate it. And uh, yeah, hopefully the weather treats you a little bit better this year and, and prices maybe come up on a couple of your crops there too. So anyway, good luck here in 23. Thanks. Good luck to y'all. You bet. Appreciate it.
Yeah, certainly different conditions down there than than what we've got here, and that's one of the reasons why we love doing the show. Uh, just having the opportunity to talk to people with, with different in in different environments, and you can always pick something up too from different people. Because I think about even on our own farm. We have such variability in some of our soils, and we do have some fairly light ground. And so I'm always looking for, okay, what should I be thinking about in the light ground versus the heavy ground? And it's just, it's fun compared to what it used to be where we had to have the same thing across the whole farm or across the whole field. We can vary stuff in areas of the field. Well, we're going to get back to your questions in the Ag PhD mailbag right after this. Stay tuned. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. It takes balance to be successful in farming because what you get out of it depends on what you put in. And Corteva AgriScience gets that. Introducing Nutricia and Nutrient Efficiency Optimizer, a biological product that naturally captures nitrogen from the air. It's a sustainable way to add balance to your traditional nitrogen methods and maximize your yield potential. Embrace a balanced approach to nitrogen management this season by visiting Corteva.us. The value of your farm building is in its ability to protect what's stored inside. That's why Morton Buildings ensures that every machine storage and insulated workshop we build will provide superior strength and durability. As a 100% employee-owned company, we're all committed to being the industry leader with a focus on innovation, service, quality, and most importantly, customer satisfaction. To get started on your next project, please visit mortonbuildings.com. This is Mike. Hey. He's getting a quick haircut at the local barber school. It's only five bucks. How bad can it? Oh! Yikes. Don't be like Mike when it comes to weed control. Get the job done right the first time and plan ahead with Status Herbicide. It delivers elite corn safety and reliable performance, so you don't have to deal with more problems than you bargained for. No, 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 no. Status Herbicide from BASF. Always read and follow label directions. One of the most important things you can do for your farm is improve drainage. Hi, I'm Darren Hefty. On Wednesday, February 8th, we're hosting a free Ag PhD tiling clinic in the Morton Center on our farm near Baltic, South Dakota. Whether you've been tiling for years or looking to plan your first project, you won't want to miss this event. We'll have a whole host of information for you, including a legal session with the country's top drainage lawyers, as well as presentations on tile design, lift stations, and ways to approach neighbors and landlords about tiling issues. For more details, go to agphd.com. When it comes to cereal disease protection, Prosaro Pro 400 SC fungicide from Bayer makes all the difference. With three effective active ingredients for overlapping control of foliar and head diseases and a flexible application window for head scab, it's formulated to lower dawn, protect yield potential, and promote superior grain quality. Prosaro Pro, the future of plant health starts here. Visit prosaropro.com to learn more. Always read and follow grain marketing and all other stewardship practices and pesticide label directions. Win the war against weeds in your soybean fields with fierce herbicides from Valent USA. With three different formulations and multiple modes of action, you're sure to find the right fierce product to protect your operation from tough weeds like Palmer Amaranth and Waterhemp. Give your soybeans a strong, clean start with up to eight weeks of residual control with the powerful pre-emergence protection of fierce herbicide. Ask your local retailer or visit valent.com fierce to find the right fierce formulation for you. Always read and follow label instructions.
Welcome back to Ag PhD Radio. It's Farmer Friday. I'm Brian Hefty, live in the Morton studio. Just taking your calls and questions all throughout the show today. Again, our number is 844-44-AG-PHD. Our email address is radio at agphd.com. Zach in Nebraska has a question for us. He says, I'm wondering what your thoughts are on a micronutrient blend product I've got. I know sulfate forms are good, but I'm questioning the value of oxides for plant availability and maintaining soil levels. Basically, this micronutrient blend product he's got has both oxides and sulfates for copper, iron, manganese, and zinc. Um, So, Zach, I would just say the sulfates are more water soluble the oxides are less and you can if you read up go on the internet and you'll find stuff that says oxides are great you'll find stuff that says sulfates are great um at the end of the day all i really care about is if what i'm applying gives me results so i I don't have any problem with you trying this stuff and then you see how it goes my cautions are always keep in mind that fertilizer by very definition is salt so you got to be careful about the rate and where you place it because too much salt near the seed will hurt the seed. Too much salt near a root will burn off the root. But, I mean, as long as you're running with some low rate, you're careful and that kind of thing, I'm, I'm not that worried about it. Oh, one other thing I'll say too. A lot of people will uh, use very low rates of infuro fertilizers. What ends up happening if, and you, you can find this out real fast, if you just run water through your system at that lower rate just out on cement in your farmyard or something and what happens a lot of times is the rate gets so low that the fertilizer spits out well if it spits on a seed and then it doesn't run for another half second whatever in effect you put on a much much higher dose than you think you did so this is one of the reasons we often tell people put more water with it or i mean long term Maybe there will be more of these, like the Thrive 3D system, where it basically takes liquid and turns it into foam. And they claim that you get 50 times the coverage in that furrow with that Thrive 3D system. And I, I can just tell you, like with Zyway, for example, a lot of people are talking about, oh, it's uh, you know getting too much on cer- certain seeds and maybe stunting the plant or whatever if it's in furrow. So I want to put it two by two or down below. With the Thrive 3D system, we put it right in the furrow. And it, and it was just fine. And we're getting the most yield gain. So anyway, it's a pretty neat system. I'm not suggesting you have that you know now for, for this, but I, I'm just cautioning you if you're going to go with one tiny low rate and that's it be a little bit careful about how it gets put out but yeah i'd I'd give it a try and uh, and and just go from there oh the other thing that i'll say you really want to look at what do you have for soil tests and do you need these nutrients or do you not because if you're already long on one and you're way short on another then maybe your ratio in this micronutrient blend isn't exactly right just something for you to think about Okay, next one comes from Ty. He says, I've got an old peanut farm in southeastern Oklahoma. I'm trying to grow grass, and I'm unsure the best way to get this ground to produce forage. Any help would be appreciated. And then he says, I don't get to listen to the show every day, so an email reply would be fine. Uh, Ty, we got to get you listening to the show every day. But anyway, uh, I'm looking at his soil test here, and I, I, I'll... I'll if you're listening today, I'll just I'll try to do my best job explaining this. It's it's light soil, okay, pretty sandy soil, five to ten cation exchange capacity, and we usually figure ten or less means sand, uh, and 
organic matter is 1% to 2%. So it's pretty light ground. But here's the problem. He's got 5 parts per million of phosphorus. He's got 50 parts per million of potassium, a half a part per million of zinc, a half a part per million of copper, uh, three-tenths of a part per million of boron. I, I mean, not much sulfur, uh, no nitrogen to speak of. So almost everything is lacking here. And the other thing that's a little bit concerning is on the sodium level, percentage-wise in the base saturation test, it's one to 6%. So I don't know in a 5 CEC soil how you're getting 6% sodium, especially when all those nutrient levels are so low. So I, I don't know what exactly is going on there, but I just know this. If you're going to try to raise a grass crop, we, we got to make some adjustments here. First of all, soil pH 5.4, 5.7 in, in a couple different tests. So we got to get that up probably into the low sixes with Light soil, though, you only need a splash of lime, just very little lime, and your pH will be soft. And then you really want to get things like phosphorus and potassium up, which is no surprise. Uh, in addition to that, with that lightest soil, you got to be thinking about the leachables constantly. Like literally every month, I might be out there with a little bit of nitrogen, a little bit of sulfur, a little bit of boron, because those are all leachable. And quite frankly, in that lightest soil, potassium is somewhat leachable as well. So, I mean, at least once or twice a year, I'm going to be putting more K on too. So there, there's no one thing that I can say, oh, just do this and you got all your problems solved. No, it looks to me like you got about eight different nutrients here that you just need more of. And I, there, there's no real way around that. You got to get some more nutrients out there and you'll have a heck of a lot better grass. All right. Uh, next one. This is from Justin. He says, I'm interested in attending Neil, the Neil Kinsey seminar that you guys have uh, on your farm and at your field day site coming up here later this month. I got one question. Will it be available for a period of time after the live event if I want to live stream this? Uh, so yeah, you can live stream it and it will be available uh, as a recording after the event as well. So if you wanted to attend in person too, you could go back and watch the online and it'll be for about a month or so. Uh, but anyway, Justin just says here, I work during the week and I can only watch these things at nights and on the weekends. Uh -huh. Yeah, uh, Justin, I, I totally get it. Even for me during the day, I'm just so busy with the day-to-day -day things. And a lot of times I get to catch up on that educational side at night and on the weekends. All right. Uh, let's see. Next one here is from Ben. He says, I love your show, and I would appreciate a tip for setting up my new planter. I recently upgraded my planter. It's got no-till coulters mounted on it. I want to install floating row cleaners on it as well. However, I can't have both because the fertilizer disc is too close. Should I leave the no-till no coulters on or take them off and install row cleaners? I farm in east-central Wisconsin and in mostly conventional tillage, but I do plant corn into no-till soybean ground. I also have to deal with dairy manure from a bedded pack, which I would think the row cleaners have an advantage. I'd greatly appreciate any insight and look forward to hearing your response. All right. So, Ben, we have done all kinds of things on our farm, and every year, I will tell you, in every field almost, in every situation, uh, we go, oh, this is better, or oh, no, nah, no, I think I might like that other thing better. And so <laughs> there, there's no one thing. When we when we switch stuff over to one way, we go, I, I don't know, maybe I like the old thing better. 
So I, I don't know exactly what what's going to be best for you, but let me give you a couple of things to think about. First of all, if you don't want to put row cleaners on the planter and you want to put fertilizer on, I often think about, okay, I can just do more, more straight out tillage. I could even get a coulter cart or I could get, uh, or let me rephrase that. I could get... Uh, like a little strip till machine with coulters so I could clean that row before I go out there if I was that worried about it. So let's say I had 10 fields and only three of them I had any problem with. I could go hit those three fields before I plant and then I've got my row cleaner. Uh, the other way is when you talk about fertilizer, if you want to skip the fertilizer, that's certainly fine. You just have to make sure you have plenty in the soil to begin with. So here again, you could broadcast more. You could run with uh, fertilizer coulters um, up front and um, inject some fertilizer where your rows are going to be. I mean, there are a lot of ways to do this thing. So yeah, I, I'm sorry. I don't have some great answer for you. Just some things for you to think about, but we have gone both directions on our farm. I would say at this point, I'm probably more interested in putting fertilizer out there than I am cleaning that row, but um, we're also doing a little more tillage because of all the manure we get, and we have a strip till machine. So I got, I got flexibility, and I got different ways that I can go if I need to, if different conditions arise. All right, again, it's Farmer Friday we got a little bit of time left today. If you would like to call in, 844-44-AG-PHD is our phone number. You can also email us, radio at agphd.com. Right after this break, I'm going to get to a question from a farmer from Mozambique, another one from Nebraska, and uh, another one from Kansas, too. So we got them coming in from all over the place. We'll be right back after this. In 1923, Bert R. Benjamin had a vision an all-purpose tractor that could do more. With that, the Farmall was born. This year, Case IH is celebrating 100 years of Farmall, 100 years of milestones, 100 years of innovation, passion, grit. And they're doing it through your stories. Share them at farmall100.com. One lucky storyteller will win their own Farmall, the tractor that is the one for all. Your crop deserves the best, not just a contender. Choose a Champ brand fungicide from New Farm for proven performance in the formula you prefer. Champ Formula 2 Flowable offers exceptional mixing and stability in a liquid copper. Champ Ion comes supercharged for superior coverage in a dry formulation. Any way you turn, New Farm has the copper solution you can win with. Put a Champ in your corner at newfarm.com slash uscrop. The greatest herbicide of all time earned its title by defending your soybean fields. Authority Supreme Herbicide's low-use rate formula delivers longer-lasting control of broadleaf weeds and grasses, providing you with the best-in-class combination of Group 14 PPO herbicide sulfentrazone and Class 15 molecule pyroxysulfone that outlast the competition. We're Authority Supreme Herbicide from FMC, and we play to win. Learn more at authoritysupreme.ag.fmc.com. Always read and follow all label directions. Cold weather draining your batteries? Nothing delivers peace of mind like a quality battery charger from CNB. Going on now? Buy three batteries and get the charger on sale. Learn more or shop online at DeerEquipment.com. CNB, your local John Deere dealer of choice. Offer runs until May 2023. 
Get your planter ready for spring with Germinator Closing Wheels from Farm Shop MFG. When you buy 12 rows or more, get free shipping or 20% off an end zone bin system. So call Farm Shop MFG today at 712-520-6051. At Corteva AgriScience, we want to keep farms healthy and productive today and tomorrow. That's why we're investing in a robust pipeline of naturally derived biologicals. Meet Nutritia N Nutrient Efficiency Optimizer. It's a sustainable nitrogen fixation product that facilitates crop growth and optimizes yield potential. With the fluctuation in fertilizer prices, Nutrition N is a reliable solution. It can be used alongside your traditional nitrogen program to enhance your ROI this year. For more information, visit Corteva.us. This season, get medieval on Rhizoctonia with the powerful protection of Excalia fungicide from Valent USA. Here to shield your sugar beets from the treachery of Rhizoctonia, Excalia delivers excellent staying power, keeping your sugar beets from being conquered. Stay one step ahead of Rhizoctonia with the powerful protection of Excalia. Ask your retailer or visit valent.com slash Excalia to learn more. Always read and follow label instructions. It's Farmer Friday. I'm Brian Hefty, live in the Morton studio, just taking your calls and questions all throughout the show. I told you right before the break, we got one in from Mozambique. It's Kevin. He says he owns and operates a farm in central Mozambique. And uh, he says there are three large grain farmers in the whole province of uh, Manica, or however you say it. Um, And anyway... He just says, getting good extension, which I assume means uh, education, is very difficult, and I fear without it, we will regress in our farming. Um, He was wondering about contacting us on WhatsApp. Uh, Here in the U.S., there aren't a lot of us who use WhatsApp, that that app out there for contact. Uh, You can just email us, Kevin, if you got specific questions for us. We're here to help. Interestingly... There are some guys we've worked with for probably, I don't even know, 25, 30 years up in North Dakota that that are doing some farming in Mozambique. They've asked me several times, hey, do you want to go over there? And I'm like, I'm too busy, guys. I just, I can't go over there. I'm sorry. But I'm more than happy to answer any of your questions or, or your questions, Kevin. Uh, but anyway, he just says here, anyway, I really appreciate your efforts and uh, the knowledge you guys put into your presentations. Very useful, even though our climates are definitely different. And he says, last week I did comment on your most recent presentation, so now you know who the icon with the colonial British flag is. Anyway, uh, thanks for the email, Kevin. And like I say, just let us know if you've got any specific questions with your farming over there in Mozambique. All right, next one is from Taylor in Nebraska. And he says, I acquired a new irrigated farm last year. We're in a limited irrigation area on this field. This was a pasture and there are some steep side hills from where they dozed banks down for the pivot to walk around about 15 years ago. I'm in the process of getting one acre uh, grid soil sampling done on it now. But in the meantime, I've got an example of how bad it is and he sent us a soil test. Anyway, he says, I'm going to apply elemental sulfur to the side hills where the pH is seven and a half up to eight point three to try to bring it down uh, this field will be all corn i feel like the recommendation on nitrogen is too high i'm planning on raising the zinc up to five parts per million and copper up to two but with iron and manganese as low as they are how much would you recommend putting on in the first year and going forward to get on build program i'm open to all recommendations on this sample as if it was a one acre grid all right so taylor let me first say this when 
because you mentioned these side hills and where they doze the banks down. So that tells me that you're now farming subsoil. So if I'm wrong, let me know. But it, 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 we've had this exact same situation before where where work gets done, dirt work gets done, and the topsoil doesn't get put back right or whatever. And basically, you have to build new topsoil. The best ways we've been able to do that are reducing tillage, raising continuous corn, and then using as much manure or compost as we can get away with. And in just a few years, things really start to shape up. And so honestly, I'm probably more interested in doing all that than I am putting on ridiculous amounts of elemental sulfur to try to lower a high soil pH. Now, in the two samples you sent me, it, it says here these are both 7.4 for pH. So, I, I, I mean, if you do have some stuff that's higher in pH, I'd, I'd be interested in seeing what those samples look like. But when pH is out of whack, that tells us something's out of balance with our nutrients. And I'd like to see, maybe I can try to figure out for you what is out of balance. If you fix that, maybe the pH will start to neutralize. We've had that happen on our own farm. Okay, so anyway, here are my quick comments on your soil test and the, the ones you sent me. So first of all, can exchange capacity 17 to 22, organic matter about two and a half. Um, actually, your potassium is not bad, 4 or 5%. You're around 300, 350 parts per million of potassium. So that's great. And I don't see a lot of soil tests that have decent levels of K. So awesome. Great job. With phosphorus, um, that's where you're lacking, 20 and 24 parts per million of phosphorus on a Malik 3 test. That's similar to a P2 or strong Bray test. In other words, it's not just what's available today, it's what's available today and what they think is going to come available over the course of the next year. So that's really low. So the thing I'm going to focus on, if it's me, I'm going to spend a lot of my dollars on phosphorus. And then along with that, you got to get your zinc levels up because usually we like those somewhere around 10 to 1 phosphorus to zinc. But I'll say this, your zinc tests are DTPA. So when you're running Malik phosphorus and DTPA zinc, then that ratio could maybe be a little higher, maybe a 15 to 1 or something like that. But with DTPA, all the micros are going to read lower, and they're especially going to read lower on iron and manganese when your pH is high like it is. So I'm, I, you asked about how much iron and manganese should you put on. Personally, I'd rather see a Malik 3 test run on iron and manganese. Let's see what we actually have out there before I start pulling the trigger on spending a bunch of money because iron and manganese are not cheap. On the other hand, copper and zinc are pretty cheap. So you could raise your copper and zinc levels, and the copper, by the way, is about 0.3 parts per million. So you absolutely need copper and you absolutely need zinc. Those are both hurting your yields today. But iron and manganese, I'm going to really walk before I run. Here's the other thing. Uh, sulfur, and it's heavy soil, so or medium to heavy soil, so it's not like, oh, it's all leaching away instantly. But still, sulfur is a leachable nutrient, and you got 10 and 12 parts per million on sulfur. So just make sure you continue to address sulfur. Oh, and I'd say I don't have a boron test here, so I'm... Maybe you need a little bit of boron too. I don't know, but anyway, those are those are kind of my thoughts there. And yeah, if you want to put some manganese and iron out, just I wouldn't put a lot, just a little bit, and and let's let's see what a Malik three test might show us, and kind of go from there. All right, next question is about rose beds, and I will be honest, I'm not the world's leading expert on flowers, but so we raise crops here. Uh, but anyway, we we had. So Karen, by the way, had sent us some questions a while back, and we talked about those. 
Uh, so she had some feedback for us. She said, um, I, you guys recommended I get another soil test, so this time I did from Midwest Labs. Here are the results. I'm concerned about addressing the salt issue and pH in my rose bed. Um, and I, and so anyway, I'd like you to take a look at this. I'm concerned because my tap water, I've been told, has a lot of salt. All right, so Karen, um, your soluble salt levels are actually low. I, I'm guessing what you're you're saying here is your your water may have a fair amount of sodium in it, and your sodium levels aren't horrible, but it's three to five percent. So it's on the edge of what we like to see. So I'm I'm just trying to make sure anytime I've got higher sodium like that, or it's not super high, but again, I don't want it to get any worse. We usually address that with adding a little more sulfur, making sure our drainage is good, and then making sure we have a good amount of calcium in that soil, which you do. Now, on one of your tests, you had 1.6% potassium and 99 parts per million and only 6.8% magnesium. So I can just tell you, and again, I'm no expert on flowers, but I just know in soils and we, when we start raising plants, we like to have the potassium four to eight percent with with most every plant and for magnesium we usually like that in the range of 12 to 20. your cation exchange capacity is 15 18 so it's what we would consider medium textured soil so again not being the expert in flowers those are the things that i am probably looking at and focusing on but i don't know that i'm super worried about your tap water now if we're only talking some tiny little um, flower bed, then I'm thinking, and I've, I've, we've never done this on crops. So if you want to do this, just try it on a small scale because maybe it'll fail and it'll fail miserably. I don't know. But when we talk spray water, there are a lot of times where the spray water is very hard and it maybe even it has some, some sodium and stuff in there, but we'll use water treatment then. So there's a product we're using called WaterRite that will actually lower the pH of the water and it will um, tie up some of those hard water ions. So it, it, that could be something that you might try or just some type of water treatment because, yeah, your pH is high. And if you're putting high pH water that has sodium or salt, that could be problematic for you. So I guess those are kind of the things that that I would say and... Uh, Anyway, if you've got more questions for us, just let us know. All right. Um, I don't think I have time to get to. Yeah, I know I don't have time to get to the next one. I've got a couple other questions here uh, um, on soil tests and really going into a lot more detail. And I, I think we're just going to have to hold off on those until Monday. So I apologize about that. I got a whole stack of questions here yet. So anyway, for everybody who wrote in with questions or called in today, uh, thanks a lot for that. We appreciate it. Um, I, I love doing the show in part just to talk to farmers from all over the country, all over the world, and hopefully give you at least our thoughts on agronomy and hopefully helping you raise a little bit better crop. All right, before we go, just wanted to say uh, thanks to Mark and Michelle running the controls for us in the studio today with Alex and Janelle out. Uh, and thanks to you for listening. Be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio.